Welcome to Revival from the Bible, a daily devotional podcast designed to help more people get into God's Word and get more out of the Word. I'm Ben Blakey. It's Monday, August 30th, 2021. Have you ever been watching a movie or a TV show and seen one of the characters do something and thought to yourself, oh my goodness, that's me. That's totally what I would do or how I would act in that situation. Or maybe sometimes it's more like a friend or your spouse pointing at what's happening and saying, hey, hey, that's you. That's what you would do. And sometimes maybe it's not the most flattering thing that it is that you would be doing. Um, You know, you see some character being awkward or messing up a situation, you're like, oh no, that's what I would do. We've probably all felt that before, but today we're going to look at one of the most famous stories of all time. And we are going to see a character with whom we should all be able to identify. And one of the problems that we have is we probably don't identify enough with this character. And we're going to Luke chapter 15 today, and we're beginning the story of the prodigal son. Uh, A very familiar story, not just to Christians even, but one of the most famous stories, uh, really a cherished story throughout uh, the world. And this is more than just a a story that was written by uh, some writer or some novelist or some script writer. This is uh, something that was intentionally crafted by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to make a point. And the point is similar to what we looked at uh, over the weekend as we began Luke 15. There's three stories here, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. And as we Look at these. It's all in response to the Pharisees accusing him of his associations with sinners. That He was calling sinners to repentance and rejoicing with them when they did so. And now he gets to the third story, the longest story, the story of the prodigal son. And I want to suggest to you that the prodigal son is a character with which you and I should identify. Uh, We should see ourselves in this story as the son, Uh, not even for the good things that he does, but really um, for the wasteful, prodigal things that he does. But I want us not just to focus on the character of the son, and I don't know if I need to recount much of the story uh, because it likely is so familiar to you. I also want to focus on the character of the father, the father, and as He comes into town in verse 20, it says, and he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate for this. My son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now, As you dig into this story, a lot of what Jesus says about the father, a lot of the things that describe his actions were meant to shock 
the listeners here. A lot of things that the father does here were meant to shock the sensibilities of Jesus's first century Jewish religious leader audience, right? That the father, even just simple details, that the father ran. Nah, that is not something that a dignified, noble father in this society would have done. You would not see a grown man uh, just running uh, to to greet someone. That that is not what they did. And then the, the details of just the extravagance of how the father welcomes back this son who wasted um, all that he had. Uh, it was meant to shock. And then you see, you will see the uh, re- responsibility um, or the response of the older son. And, and that's likely to describe what many people would have said in response to Jesus. Uh, but even some have commented on how really it's not the son who so much who is depicted as prodigal, but also the father, that what he does in response to his son returning in the original audience's eyes would have been viewed as wasteful. It would have been viewed as shocking. Uh, this was meant to shock them. And, and as we think through that, uh, we probably once, one, we don't maybe understand some of the cultural things that are presented in this story that would have shocked the original listeners. But I think the other reason why we don't see this beauty in the response of the father is that we don't identify enough with the prodigal son. I mean, it's really a master in storytelling and Jesus obviously crafting this story to make a spiritual point Uh, how he sets up the son and the wastefulness of the son and then the shocking response of the father. Uh, But part of the reason we aren't shocked is we don't see enough of the son in ourselves. We don't look at the prodigal son and say, oh yeah, that's that's me. Uh, Unfortunately, many of us think of ourselves oftentimes as, well, yeah, it makes sense that God saved me. Uh, Yeah, of course, God loves, loves me. Because we think of ourselves as not that bad. Well, we need to really have a more honest reckoning for our sin and how offensive it is to God. Oh, we, we, to some extent, need to get to where the son is and say, I'm, no, I'm not worthy to be called God's son. I, I, I mean, if I could be his slave, but that's where God, no, he doesn't just call us to be his slaves. He welcomes us as sons. He puts his arms around us. He rejoices over us our salvation. So really the focus here is on the the shocking, extravagant love of God in this passage. But I think for us to see that we're going to need to see more of the prodigal son in ourselves. And we need to realize there's no good reason that I should be saved apart from the incredible love of God. And I hope as we start this new week, just that perspective encourages you and refreshes you and fills you with gratitude towards God. Now, let's go back to Psalm 103 today as we finish this incredible and encouraging psalm. And we've talked a lot both on Saturday and now today about the love of God. And on Saturday, we talked about how you cannot overemphasize the love of God. In fact, in Scripture, the concern, Old Testament, New Testament, seems to be that we would underemphasize the love of God or forget the love of God. And even in the story of the prodigal son, it is meant to 
to be shocking how extravagant the love of God is. So we cannot overemphasize the love of God, but uh, as we said on Saturday, we can explain the love of God in unbiblical ways, and we can misunderstand uh, some of what the love of God means. And if we are ever tempted to think that somehow the love of God gives us a a license to just be kind of carefree about following his commands— then we don't understand the love of God. And I would argue even a right understanding if we are seeking to not underemphasize the love of God, but lean into the incredible descriptions of the love of God in scripture, that should actually inspire obedience, uh, not make obedience something that is optional. And we're going to get some senses of that in Psalm 103 today as we see some amazing statements again about the love of God, but then notice uh, some of the qualifiers. Look at verse 17, but the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. So there, there's even the love is extended to those who fear him, the the righteousness to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. And of course, this is not teaching some form of works righteousness. We we clearly see that um, exposed in the story of the prodigal son. It was not works righteousness. He did not earn anything. The father uh, welcomed him in because of his great love. But, but that love of God should bring about in us a, a love for him that seeks to do his commandments. And so even as we think about the love of God, may we respond as Psalm 103 would encourage us to by saying, God, I want to fear you. I want to do what you want in light of all of your blessings to me, God. That is what I want to do in response. And I was particularly encouraged by Even that phrase there where his steadfast love is from everlasting to everlasting to those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children. And that's encouraging even just as we look out at the chaos and the mayhem in our world. As a father of four young children, now many of you, one of the things that might concern you the most is what's going to become of my kids? Or you might even just look at young people in our church or in your lives and say, what kind of world are these people going to grow up in? And to be encouraged that, well, the steadfast love endures forever uh, and from everlasting to everlasting and his righteousness to children's children. God is in control. And even as it says later, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. So uh, may we not fear for the next generation, but may we be faithful to teach the ways of the Lord and the character of God to the next generation and pray that they will walk in those ways and experience the steadfast love of the Lord. Next, as we're in the Old Testament, let's go to Job chapters 34 to 37. And here we see the rest of the speech of Elihu, this fourth friend that speaks up at the end. And again, there's debate uh, about uh, this young man, and is he good? Is he bad? Oh, what are we to make of him? And I think there are some things he says that are good. I think he's better than the other three friends. Even in the last couple chapters, we'll see him just kind of defending and declaring God's greatness and his majesty. I think the question or the thing that he says in chapter 34, verse 9, has something to it when he accuses Job of saying, it profits a man nothing that he should take delight in God. And I think that's even one of the fundamental questions 
of the book of Job? Is it worth it to follow God? And is it worth it to follow God even when you experience incredible trials as you follow God? But I also think as we um, as we look at these passages that it, we have to be careful again uh, that Elihu, I do think the downsides is I think he's not very gracious in his response to Job. And so I don't think that should be a model for us as we see him. He's the youngest guy, but he seems to be very sure of what he's talking about. And I do think some of what he says is good, uh, but the way in which he presented, presents it, I probably could use some improvement. So maybe those are some things we can notice from our reading there. And let's wrap up today by looking at 1 Timothy chapter 4. And as we look at 1 Timothy chapter 4, we remember this is written from Paul to a younger man in ministry that he was discipling. Um, and you even see some of the youth there in chapter 4, verse 12, the famous verse, let no one despise you for your youth or let no one look down on your youthfulness. And I think there's some valuable things in here to anybody that's in ministry, just the things that they need to devote themselves to and really to devote themselves to the word and make sure, as it says there at the end, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Uh, But I think in some ways that applies to all of us, that we should watch our character, watch what we believe. And I think what, especially what we see in verses seven and eight are helpful for all of us. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. So may we all be encouraged to seek the Lord, to pursue him, and may we all be encouraged by the incredible and even shocking love of God. And I hope you see in yourself the, the, the prodigal son and realize there is there is not a good reason why God should love me as opposed to others. There's not a good reason from a human perspective why, why God should forgive me. But God is incredible, full of amazing and steadfast love. And let us praise him and thank him for that today. Thanks for digging into God's word with me today on Revival from the Bible. For more resources, check out revivalfromthebible.com. To learn more about Compass Bible Church Treasure Valley, go to compassbible.tv. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you.